Luke chapter 5. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourselves to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. One day, Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to land before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, "'Friend, your sins are forgiven.'" Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemously? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him.
Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well, if only I could see Jesus myself. I wonder if you've ever had that thought. If I could only see Jesus myself, hear him teach with my own ears, see his miracles with my own eyes. I mean, if I could only jump in a time machine and go back and see myself, then surely all my doubts would fade away. Surely all my struggles, my unbelief, my half-heartedness following Jesus uh, would fade away if I could just see him face to face. Well, if you've ever thought that, you're certainly not alone. I think probably most of us have at some point. And we can sometimes feel envious as we see and read about those who actually got to see Jesus in the flesh. You know, today in that passage that we just had read out in Luke chapter 5, uh, we see Peter encountering Jesus face to face in this dramatic way. Hearing him teach, seeing him perform a miracle, and the impact that it has on Peter is profound, life-changing. But as we look at this passage, we'll also see that it's very possible even today for people like you and me to encounter Jesus too. So let's have a look and see what God has to say to us. Have you got a Bible there? Have a look with me at Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's just another name for the Lake of Galilee or the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So here we see Jesus, he's teaching the word of God, but notice he's running into a problem. The problem is that Jesus is too popular. Huge crowds were desperate to him and see him with their own eyes. So you can see that in verse 1. It says people were crowding around him or literally pressing against him, pushing and shoving to get as close as they could. So Jesus sees that this just isn't going to work, and he comes up with a solution. Uh, Have a look in your Bibles with me at verse 2, where Jesus finds his solution. It says, Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from ashore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So it's quite a scene. Picture the bustling crowds pressing against each other at the water's edge. Jesus is just offshore, uh, sitting in a boat, his, his water carrying, his voice carrying across the water to the multitudes who'd come to see him. Now, whatever Jesus was teaching, it clearly must have been good to be attracting people like that. But interestingly, did you notice we're not told anything about what Jesus said? In fact, very quickly, at this point, the focus shifts quite dramatically. The crowds who up to this point have been front and centre drop out of the picture altogether. They don't even get mentioned after this point. Instead, the focus shifts to a handful of people in the boat. Have a look at it there in verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking... He said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. 
Now, at this point, uh, it's not at all clear why Jesus is asking him to let down the nets for a catch. Uh, but I must say, he's just finished preaching, and I must say for myself, sometimes after preaching, I'm pretty hungry as well. So maybe he's just keen for a fresh lunch of sashimi or something like that. Uh, but Peter, Simon Peter is pretty perplexed. This guy who's referred to as Simon and Simon Peter, Peter, uh, it's the same guy. He's perplexed because he spent the whole night fishing in this spot and caught nothing. And keep in mind, Simon Peter is no hobby fisherman. Fishing is his livelihood, his trade, his profession. This is his area of expertise. And if you ever uh, go or visit the Lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, or just look it up on Google Maps or something, it's not massive either. So if you've grown up fishing on this little body of water, you know the best fishing spots like the back of your hand. This is his area of expertise. So when Jesus, the son of a carpenter, what does he know about fishing? tells him to let down the nets. Humanly speaking, he knew it didn't make sense. So why did he do it? Well, notice what he says in verse 5. But because you say so, he says, I will let down the nets. Now, it's helpful to keep in mind at this point that this isn't the first time Peter has met Jesus. Uh, this is one of the reasons it's sometimes uh, handy to have a physical Bible in front of you instead of a phone, because instead of having to jump to a whole new page, you can just flip back. And you can look at Luke chapter 4, verse 38, and you can see, oh, look, Simon's met Jesus before. This isn't their first encounter. Jesus miraculously healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. So Simon Peter may not have fully understand what's going on with the fish, but he trusted Jesus because he'd seen him do some impressive stuff. That's important to note. Notice this isn't a blind faith, a blind trust. It was a faith grounded in how Jesus had demonstrated himself to be trustworthy. Because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Now have a look in your Bibles with me at verses 6 to 8 where we see what happened next. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So Simon Peter obeyed Jesus and it proved that his faith was well grounded after all. Jesus performed a miracle, a supernatural catch of fish or perhaps just just great knowledge and insight into where exactly they would be. Picture these four fishermen straining at the nets, hauling in so many fish that their boats begin to sink. They went from a, a whole night of catching nothing and now in a matter of minutes they've got a bigger catch than they know what to do with. It's pretty remarkable. But what's even more remarkable than the miracle itself is the way Peter reacts to it. Did you notice that? The way he responds when he sees the miraculous catch of fish, it it just seems kind of strange. Check it out. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Now why on earth does he respond like that? I mean, you'd expect him to say something like, wow, Jesus, what an amazing miracle. Surely you're the son of God. Let me follow you. But instead, he asked Jesus to go away. Instead of being impressed at Jesus, he's overwhelmed. Instead of being amazed at Jesus' power, he's overcome with the weight of his own sinfulness. I'm a sinful man, he says. But but why? What makes him respond that way? Well, there's another place in the Bible where something very similar happens. If you've been with us over that um, 
our series in Luke, you'll notice that we seem to go back to the book of Isaiah almost every week. It's not intentional, it just seems to be that way. God's designed things well. But in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah sees a vision of God on his throne. This is what we read in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, Isaiah, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among the people of unclean lips, and, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, do you see a similar dynamic happening? When he sees God, a glimpse of God in his majesty and holiness and perfection, that causes him instinctively to see something in himself as well. When exposed to the brilliant light of God's holiness, the darkness of his own sinful heart is revealed. And that's the same thing that's happening to Peter, although in an outwardly less dramatic fashion. Simply catching a glimpse of who Jesus really is, of Jesus' perfection, left Peter confronted with his own imperfection. And there's something powerful here. You know, when I look at other people, it's easy for me to justify my own sinfulness. Oh, sure, I'm not perfect, but look at him. You know, I'm not as generous as I could be, but at least I give more than those people. Oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not as devoted to God as I could be, but, but look at her. I'm not so bad. You see, when we look at other people, it's easy for us to try to justify our own sinfulness, which is such a trap. But when we look at Jesus, all of that falls away. When I see his light it exposes my inner darkness. When I see the way Jesus loves others, that shows me how unloving I am. When I see how, how selfless Jesus is, I recognize how selfish I am. When I open the pages of Scripture and come face to face with Jesus, his boldness, his mercy, his righteousness, instead of trying to justify my own sinfulness, to try to prop myself up and make myself feel better, it exposes how sinful I really am. So it's worth asking, have you been comparing yourself to others? Comparing yourself to see if you're better or worse. Maybe, maybe you look at someone else to try to feel like you're better and getting puffed up with pride. Or maybe you look at others and feel really down on yourself and just you can't match up and you feel horrible. Well, regardless of the outcome... Let me encourage you, don't look at others and compare yourselves to them. Look at Jesus. Allow him to be your standard. Fix your eyes on him. And here's the thing. You know, it can be tempting to think, well, sure, of course, Peter could do that. Peter could look at Jesus. He could have this experience. He got to see him face to face. He got to see him form a miracle right before his eyes. So, of course, he got to encounter Jesus. But for me, I, I just can't have that. But, friends, in reality, the opposite is true. In reality, you and I have seen far more of Jesus 
than Peter had at this point. Think about it, we're five chapters into Luke's Gospel. What has Peter seen of Jesus up until this point? Well, Peter has seen Jesus perform a few healings and a big catch of fish. But think about what what we've seen. Now, maybe this is your first time ever stepping into a church or hearing about Jesus, and if that's the case, that is awesome. But if you've been around for a little bit, you probably know a bunch more things about Jesus than Peter did. In the pages of Scripture, we've got access to Jesus' entire ministry. I mean, we've seen the cross, Jesus' self-sacrificial death in our place, which is the ultimate display of Jesus' love and care and selflessness, more than any catch of fish. At this point, Peter hadn't seen that. We've seen the resurrection, Jesus rising on the third day, the ultimate display of Jesus' power and victory and triumph. More impressive than anything that Peter had seen. You know, sometimes we think if we could just see a miracle ourselves, then we'd believe. But you know that the reality is the vast majority of people who saw Jesus perform a miracle did not end up following him. Most people who saw Jesus perform a miracle with their own eyes didn't put their trust in him. They were amazed, they were impressed, they were happy if they got to you know, eat the multiplied bread and fish, and then they didn't follow him. And we're fooling ourselves if we think we would be any different. But in the pages of Scripture and with the enabling of the Holy Spirit, you and I can have a far deeper encounter with Jesus, a far clearer picture of his character than Peter or anyone else back then could have. Peter saw Jesus bring about a miraculous catch of fish. It's cool. And that was enough to bring him to his knees. But let me ask you, what have you seen of Jesus that Peter hadn't? What have you seen of Jesus' character? His holiness, his love and his power. Have you heard of the way he set aside the glories of heaven to take on human weakness? About the way he he willingly laid down his life to, to save the very people who wanted to kill him? Have you heard about the way he took the punishment I deserve and you deserve to suffer death in our place and save us? Because if you have, you've seen more of his love and righteousness than Peter had. Or have you heard of the resurrection, of of how three days after his bloody and grueling death, Jesus rose from the grave? Have you heard of the way he rose in power and victory over sin and death and, and conquered evil? Because if you have, you know more of his power and glory than Peter had. And friends, when we today call on Jesus' name, Jesus who has ascended to the right hand of God, Jesus has poured out his Holy Spirit to soften our hearts and enable us to see Jesus for who he really is. And because of that, it's possible for us today to encounter Jesus even more powerfully than Peter did. Now, don't mishear what I'm saying. When I say more powerfully, I don't don't mean more fireworks. I mean in a way that's going to bring about more lasting change in your life. Outward miracles don't actually produce inward life change. But the inner work of God's Spirit through the Gospel does. Outward miracles don't actually produce inward life change, but the inner work of God's Spirit through the Gospel does. 
You know, we sometimes think if we could just go back in time and see Jesus with our own eyes, then we would believe. But actually, if we think that, we're fooling ourselves. We have a far clearer picture now than they did back then. And so I wonder, have you encountered Jesus? Not an outward uh, fireworks kind of thing, but have you had an inward heart level encounter where you've come to see Jesus for who he really is? And as you've encountered Jesus' light, have you had that feeling of recognizing that something in your own heart isn't right? Have you come to realize, like Peter did, your sin and the ways you fall short? You know, that's what Peter did. He fell on his knees and he, he cried out, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And that's fair enough. You know, when we realize the weight of our sin, we have every reason to fear judgment for our sins. That is what we rightly deserve. But Jesus says that our sin and unworthiness need not make us fear. And so he says to Peter in verse 10, don't be afraid. You see, the very reason Jesus came was so that we wouldn't need to fear judgment for our sins. This is fleshed out a little later in our passage. Uh, Come down with me to verse 27 of Luke 5. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? It's important to know that in Jesus' day, the tax collectors were seen as the worst of sinners. They were collaborators with the Roman oppressors, stealing from their fellow countrymen and enriching themselves in the process. They were scum, traitors, seen as beyond saving. And yet Jesus made a point of hanging out with people like them. And when he was questioned about it, how does he respond? Verse 31, he says... It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, those who think they've got it all together, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says that sinners like us, like Peter, like Levi, like me and like you, if you're willing to acknowledge it, we don't need a fear because the very reason he came was for people like us. Just as a doctor rejoices to heal the sick, so Jesus rejoices to forgive the sinner. You know, it's not like you have to kind of bother Jesus about it and he's kind of dragging his feet. He's like, oh gosh, do I have to forgive them? No, a few, quite a few people in this room are going into medicine and I'm guessing, hopefully you're not doing it for the paycheck, hopefully you're going into it because you want to heal people, you want to help them. And that's Jesus' heart. He loves He loves to reach us out to us in our sin. When we repent, when we turn to trust in him, he delights to do that. And so if you're here tonight and you haven't yet turned to Jesus, let me encourage you to do just that. To say to him, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful woman. I know I deserve your judgment. But thank you for dying in my place. Thank you that I don't have to fear Help me to trust you. Help me to follow you. It can be as simple as a prayer like that. If you haven't yet started following Jesus, there's no better time to do so than right now. 
But this passage also uh, has important things to show us who do already follow Jesus. If you've got a, a Bible in front of you, have a look with me at the last part of that first section, verses 10 to 11, at the rest of Jesus' response to Simon. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. But then he said, from now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. You see, after Peter encounters Jesus in the boat, it doesn't stop there. On the contrary, it's a new beginning. Because Jesus doesn't just forgive Peter, but also calls him to fish for people. Peter's previous vocation was to gather fish, but his new life mission as a follower of Jesus was to gather people into God's family, to help others see Jesus just like he had. And notice this doesn't come kind of later after he's gone to Bible college and done heaps of study. You know, he is, he is fresh as you get, Christian follower of Jesus. And, so, and Jesus is like, awesome, let's go fishing. What he's showing us is that to be a follower of Jesus is to fish for Jesus. To follow Jesus is to fish for Jesus. Or to put it another way, it shows us that to be a disciple of Jesus a student of his, someone who follows him, to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a disciple maker. It's not an optional extra for the super Christians, but an integral part of what it means to follow Jesus ourselves. Once we've encountered Jesus, our mission is to help others encounter him too. And I've got to say, I've been so encouraged to see the many ways that people at Uni Church are doing this. Ordinary Christians who recognize that because they follow Jesus, They're called to fish for Jesus, who have seen Jesus, who love him and want others to know him too. Workers who are regularly praying for their workmates to come to know Jesus. Uni students who are involved with a Christian group on campus are seeking to share the gospel with those who don't yet know Jesus. High school students who are inviting their friends to youth group for invite fortnight. Or uni churches putting up their hand to make that happen. Even seeing the people who already are joining the team for Spy Mania to share the gospel with dozens of school kids over the September holidays. People who are serving Sunday by Sunday, so many of those in behind-the-scenes ways that are so important to making this happen. And people who give self-sacrificially, give money, not just to their church, but, but to missionaries and other Christian organizations who are making Jesus known. I'm so encouraged that all of that is already happening in so many seemingly ordinary but wonderful ways. Christians who recognize that as followers of Jesus, they're called to fish for Jesus. And so as we look at a passage like this, it's a great opportunity for each one of us to reflect and pray. God, how might you use me more to be part of your mission to help others encounter Jesus? Imagine you pray a prayer like that. God, how can I play my small part, whether in church, at school, on campus, or at work, whether by doing or speaking or giving or praying, God, how might you use me to fish for people so that more people might come to know Jesus too? I mean, I guarantee that if you go out this week praying that kind of prayer to God, I guarantee that he will show you ways that he can use you for his glory. And what greater privilege could there be than that? You know, sometimes we can think, 
if I could only see Jesus myself. Jump in that time machine, go back and see Jesus myself, then all my doubts would fade away and I'd believe. But we've been reminded today that that's, that's actually not true, is it? Many of those who saw Jesus face to face didn't believe him. And actually, we have a far clearer picture of Jesus today than the people who first saw him. We have the full picture, not just a few miracles, but his life, death, and resurrection. And not only does the Holy Spirit, uh, who Jesus has sent out into our hearts, enable us to see Jesus for ourselves and to love him, but also to follow him and join him on his mission to fish for people so that they might know him too. So let's pray for God's help, using us to do just that. Let's pray together. Almighty Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his power, his might, his love and his mercy. Thank you that through his death in our place and his resurrection, we can be saved by trusting in him, turning to him and throwing ourselves on him, the good doctor. How glorious Jesus is. Please help us to encounter him and to see him afresh today for who he truly is. Help us to see him and have our lives transformed by it. Lord Jesus, thank you that you not only save us, but call us and invite us to be part of your mission. What a great privilege that is. And yet it's a task that we can often feel intimidated by. So please help us. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that we might have boldness and love to help others know you. Please use us. In our weakness, show yourself strong. In our foolishness, show yourself wise so that many others will come to know Jesus. And we pray this in his powerful name. Amen.